Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to penetrate the highly secured archive inside the Kremlin and retrieve Cobalt's file before he can destroy it. New intel suggests Cobalt is already en route, leaving you... Four hours, 52 minutes. ...to infiltrate. To save time, we've chosen your team for you. Agents Carter and Dunn. As always, should you or any member of your team be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Ethan. So why did I show this uh, uh, snippet? Well, whenever, some of you may know that uh, I lead another ministry in downtown uh, Vancouver, and I hold uh, small gatherings uh, with a bunch of business professionals. Some are larger, some are smaller. But uh, sometimes uh, you call them like networking events, right? And who has been into a network event? You know, those pointless, <laughs> like, card trading things, <laughs> all right? Well, you know, what, so what do people usually ask you when it's like an icebreaker, right? Oh, what do you do for a living? Right, that's like the number one question, right? Then the second question would be if they know that you have a family, oh, what are your kids doing, right? And then so forth. So then, uh, interesting enough, I also like uh, help uh, facilitate a book club. And now uh, one of the uh, book club members actually brought up a really good question. She goes uh, to kick off the icebreaker. What is one unknown fact that I would like to, that you would like me to remember you about, right? It's an unknown fact that you would like me to know about you to re so that I could remember you. And that's interesting because that goes beyond, you know, just the typical what you do for a living. Because if you think about it, there are a lot more accountants than just you. There are a lot more bankers than just you. There are a lot more pe parents than just you. So what makes you unique, right? What is one unknown fact about you that you would like the other person to know, know and so that they can remember you about? And so for us as Christians, um, if you remember, recall what Brian said when he was actually uh, leading worship, you know, a lot of the Deuteronomy uh, passages uh, were focused on setting yourself apart, right? Be holy, to set yourself apart from God. Well, in today's world, if you want to contemporize the language and put it today, basically means what makes Christians unique? What makes them different from everyone else? Because there are Christians who are accountants, Christians who are business owners, Christians who are parents, Christians, you get what I'm talking about, right? So what makes them different? What makes us unique that people should remember us about? You follow? And I believe today, this morning, I believe it has a lot to do with our God-given mission. Each and every one of us have a different mission. Yes. Not all of us have one same mission, identical mission. Ethan Hunt, I almost forgot his last name. Ethan Hunt on Mission Impossible, he has different missions, right? Every movie sequel, MI1, MI2, MI3, MI4, has a different mission, agree? If you have not seen those movies, it's all in one, like different missions. But there is one overarching vision that he's, that all these missions are supporting. You, you follow? There's one overarching vision. There's different little missions, 
But there's one overarching vision. And what's the vision uh, that he's trying to continue to fight for in Mission Impossible? The glory of the American state. <laughs> All right? <laughs> the glory of the United States, right? Like to keep everything status quo, you know, USA all the way, right? That's Mission Impossible, basically. So, however, for us Christians, each and every one of us have different missions. In fact, sometimes for each of us, different stages in life have different stages of mission, different types of mission. I could have a mission, one mission now, but then when I'm retired, I could have a different mission. Agree? But I have one overarching vision. There's one overarching vision that we all share, all Christians share. And that's what I want to go into today when we continue our series in Deuteronomy in chapters 14 to 15. Is that what is this, what is this uh, vision that we're all here united with? And what is our mission? Like, how do we determine our individual mission? What are some of the underlying DNA that we need to know on how to determine our own individual mission? And that's those two questions that we're going to explore today. All right? Coincidentally, I am uh, writing a book uh, because uh, like, uh, some, a few people want me to write a book. So, so uh, coincidentally, it's about that too. It's about our mission and vision. Uh, I'm still trying to find the title, but I'll let you know. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 14. And we'll begin with verses 1 to 3. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. Now, you know, for those of you who are maybe familiar with Deuteronomy, um, even uh, like Pastor Fritz here, his neighbor, when uh, his neighbor asked him, what are you preaching on? And then you, and he, what do you say? Deuteronomy. And what did he say? He just shook his what? <laughs> right? Because it's a really tough book. Because it's all back in the ancient time, pre-first century. Like, does this even apply to us now? Like, especially now in chapter 14 where we're exploring, if you're familiar with this, uh, uh, with Deuteronomy, this is like the food laws. Right? This is where you can't eat bacon. Right? That type of thing. But let's go into it. So let's begin with verses 1 to 3. If you're with me, uh, read, uh, just uh, read along. I, I will, I'll read, but you follow. Here we go. You are the children of the Lord, your God. Do not cut, yourself or sh cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Do not eat any detestable thing. Before we go into our mission and vision, there's one thing that we have to all have to agree on, and that's who we are. Or who are we? Right? Why should we stand, like, uh, stand firm with our convictions, our beliefs, our morals? Right? It's because of who we are. Why should we continue? Why should we fulfill our mission? Why should we pursue that vision that God has for us? It's because of who we are. And interesting enough, God, through Moses, said, tells the Israelites who they are first. You, under, you, you get this? You see this? So let's unpack it for a bit. First off, what does he see? I bolded for you on the, on the screen here. Children of God. The first thing that, they, that, they, Moses, that God, through Moses, says is, you are children of God. There are two implications I want to make note of, as there are many. One, when we are called children of God, what does that mean? First thing is, you are loved by God. That's number one, loved by God. You know you're loved by your parents, right? You got you're smiling right now. Right? You're looking at me going, oh, now you're shocked because, hey, this man is talking to me right now. <laughs> Drops your book, right? <laughs> anyway, so we know that as children of God, we are loved by God. 
In other words, where he sustains us, he protects us, he never abandons us. God loves us so much that he sent himself through Jesus to take upon himself all our sins, get crucified on the cross, raised from the dead to give us hope and salvation. So first things first, children of God means you're loved by God unconditionally. So no matter what you think you did today or the past or in the future, remember this, you are loved by God because you're a child of God. Second point, as children, we also have an inheritance, right? Some of us may not see it right now, but as children of God, we have heavenly inheritance. Remember what Ephesians say? You have all the treasures in heaven stored up there waiting for you to take because you have this inheritance. So as children of God, you are loved and you also have a great inheritance. Second, we are also holy people. Holy meaning setting up, set apart for God's purpose. We are holy people. We're like Agent Ethan Hunt of Mission Impossible then. We are set apart for a mission to fulfill God's vision of the world. You follow? So there's this, so we know that we have a purpose here. We cannot say, why am I here? No, you should know why you're here. When people ask you why you are here, you should immediately know the answer. Right? You have a mission to fulfill. You are set apart for God's purpose. And so there shouldn't be any question for that or any, any question in your mind. You should be very, just go, I know why I'm here because I'm set apart for God's purpose. Lastly, last boldly that bolded word is treasured possession. Wow. God's treasured possession. You are his treasured possession. Sometimes we do not feel it, and sometimes we don't even know how it feels because we've been brought up in families that don't usually use that word, right? Uh, I still remember, like, my dad would never use that word on me, right? I could see him now, like, he would never say that, right? You are my treasured possession, right? I would feel weird too, actually, if you come to think of it, if he says it to me. But think about it, this, this is God, the, like the Psalms that we read, uh, he's the supreme, supreme one of all the earth, he sees us as treasured possessions. How many of you have a treasured possession right now? It could be your iPhone. It could be your anything, right? But if you realize what you do with this treasured possession, like your child, you would take care of it. You would tenderly, you would protect it. You would want to see it grow and flourish and nurtured. Think about that. You are God's treasured possession. And interestingly enough, when he says that we are chosen to be his treasure possession, we never got that by what we did, didn't we? If it was through our own merits, we wouldn't have gotten this treasure possession. Because even if, if you've been with us uh, throughout the whole Deuteronomy, it takes a lot to be God's treasure possession, isn't it? It takes a lot to be a chosen, God, chosen people of God. You have to follow a lot of laws. But thank God for his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. That he actually said no, Actually, the only chosen one of God, the only son of God that I have is Jesus. And you, humanity, all of you people, if you believe in Jesus, you also get that chosenness status. You also get that child of God status. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your, about your sins. You just come towards for in repentance, believe in Jesus, and you will be also called treasured possession. Isn't that amazing? The great mystery, like Paul says. All right, why did I literally spend like a whole page and a half on these three verses? 
It's because we should read chapters 14 and 15 in light of all, in light of what I just said. Children of God, holy people, treasured possession. If we take those three principles and read it in light of those three principles and keep that in mind, then 14 and 15 would make a lot of sense for us. Because if we don't, we would tend to use 14 and 15 as, what? This has no application for me. Huck it away. On to chapter 16 and 17. You follow? So we got to make sure to keep those three principles in mind. All right, let's go on. Chapter 14. These food laws were actually, we know that they were, if you follow, if you read uh, in the New Testament, these uh, food laws were actually modified in the New Testament. Right? Uh, if you recall in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter had a dream and God said to him that there is no unclean thing anymore that you cannot eat. This was prior to Peter meeting with Cornelius, right? uh, Cornelius a Gentile. And so what Peter and the early disciples concluded was that the food laws of Deuteronomy and Leviticus needed to be modified in order for the gospel to reach to the Chinese. <laughs> you guys caught that? <laughs> Anyway, like seriously, like my professor one time said, you know why the Jews never tasted heaven? They never tasted bacon. Anyway, um, so it's like, you know, that the whole idea, so basically in Acts 10 and 11, here, here's my example in chapter 15. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Chinese who are turning to God, right? It's like Gentiles. So basically, what we know about the Deuteronomy laws, about the food laws, is that they've been modified so that the, the gospel can be reached to the Gentiles. So the question is then, are we going to completely write off this chapter? Because there's a tendency to, right? We would if we don't focus on those three principles. We would have written that, oh, okay, it's past, like, we no longer need it. No, I just spent a whole page and a half of my sermon talking about it. So we, there is something about these food laws mentioned here to begin with that are quite important. And so let's go back again to those principles again. Deuteronomy 14, one to three. You are the children of the Lord, your God. Do not cut yourself or shave the front of your head for the dead. Do not eat any detestable thing. Okay, shave your head for the dead. You notice that? That's the very first thing that God says. That's one of the idol worship rituals back in the day. You know, the, the, they were taking over a nation called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites, they practiced a lot of really, really evil, detestable things. If you read prior chapters of Deuteronomy, they even sacrificed their children to their gods. All right? That's how detestable they were. That's how detestable their actions were. It was a detestable to God. They were idol worship, worshiping other things other than God. So you could actually contemporize it. What are some things that we today in our society worship? that we're willing to put sacrifices for, that we're willing to sacrifice family relationships, we're willing to sacrifice friendships, we're willing to sacrifice time with our kids, we're willing to sacrifice time with our spouses. What are some of the idols that we worship today in our contemporary world that we're willing to sacrifice valuable, like things that God wants us to love? Right? Just list them, you can list them. It's like there's like money, power, fame, fortune, whatever, right? So we could actually say, you know what, the whole idea of idol worship is detestable. Anything that we worship, anything that we put ahead of God is detestable to God. So at this point, we could say that it's really not about like uh, food per se. It's not about shaving the heads. It's all about idol worship, right? We could contemporize it and bring it out and say it's about idol worship. That's what's detestable to God because 
if you ever read through the Old Testament and the New, whenever this, mention, this phrase mentioned, detestable with God, it has a lot to do with idol worship. It's connected. It's interconnected. Anytime you see detestable to God, it usually comes with idol worship. So if God's chosen people were to be set apart from all this, if God's chosen, like us, if we are to be set apart from this world, per se, and be called holy, and if we are children of God who are supposed to imitate our father, our parents, and if we do have this great inheritance as awaiting us, and we are tre God's treasured possession, would we conform to the patterns of this world? Would we worship idols? Would we uh, perform acts that are detestable to God? No. You agree? And therefore, that is why and here, when uh, Peter said uh, uh, that there are no longer food, uh, um, no longer worshiping, uh, no, sorry, no longer, no longer confined to food laws, what did he say that actually separates us from them? What, what, is it, what did he say that is really important that would set us apart from society now? Holy Spirit and abstaining from sexual immorality. If you remember that read in Acts 15. What did he say? He said, Holy Spirit and abstaining from sexual immorality. Wow, that is perfectly relevant for us today. For us to be set apart from the world, if we, to us to be not conforming to the patterns of the world, we ourselves need to look at ourselves and say, are we, are we in, line, in tune with the Holy Spirit? Are we in step with the Holy Spirit? Do we show that we are in step with the Holy Spirit today? Do people notice that we are in step with the Holy Spirit? And also, the more practical one is, are we abstaining from sexual immorality? That's quite relevant. It's much more relevant than shaving your head, right? But, hey, this is a, uh, it's all about you are a child of God, treasured possession, with a great inheritance. We wouldn't need to do that. We, knew we don't even need to worship our idols. All right, if you have your Bibles again, let's turn, now let's move on to chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 to 5. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts have been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt for, from your uh, debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. The surrounding culture that the Israelites found themselves in is quite similar to our culture today. There are loans, creditors, and debtors, capital direct, you know, let your house lend a hand, type of thing. It's more like let your interest rates lend a hand. Anyway, so <laughs> like there's loans, creditors, and debtors. So for the Israelites to be a nation that sets themselves apart from the rest of culture, they were to practice something that God commanded them to do that's totally unheard of. And what is that? To cancel debts in the seventh year. You follow? Why would anyone do that? Right? Like, if you think about it, the guy who loaned the money to another guy should have every right to continue that debt right to, to get this interest and to be able to hold this asset. Okay, just a little to contemporize this. This has nothing to do with banks, all right? Here's a contemporary example of what this really is in practice. Let's say Pastor Fritz here needs money, 
right? <laughs> right? And then I have money to give, or money to loan. So then I loan him money, okay? Fellow brothers, sisters in Christ, okay? We know each other, we're in this community. Not, no banking, just us. We have this agreement. And then in the process of loaning him money, how do you secure this loan is that you need an asset, right? And they're like, I need an asset to hold. Because if he uh, uh, forfeits his, uh, his, uh, his, his agreement, then I should be able to have access to that asset. Now, that could be his land. That could, back then, it could be his property, his house. It could be his kids. Or it could be just his ass. Right? It's, it's like, you know, it's just grab it like, you know, he's mine, right? And that's a slavery, right? Asset, ass, you know. Anyway, fine. All right, so let's, so that's what it meant back then. It's that there's this community, and then the people are borrowing from each other. And what God is saying here is that he's not saying to cancel the interest payments. He's saying to cancel the asset. Cancel the, your hold on that asset. Allow this person to be free again. You follow? So it's not about canceling the entire debt, the, the whole debt promise. It's to cancel that part where you, that he is burdened with, which is the asset, to just give it back to him on the seventh year, to give him freedom again. And most of the time, this asset is the person. If you remember, if you recall, it's the slavery. It's a, that's how beca- uh, people become slaves. It's because they needed money. And in order to pay them back, they don't have the assets like land and property. If they did, they wouldn't need the money but they become slaves. And then in order to provide them with freedom, they have this seven year called the year of the Jubilee to let them go, to let, allow them to be free again. You follow? Because here's the thing, because yeah, why, why did God give them this, uh, ta- this command? Why did God give them this mission, for instance? Well, it's because God actually mentioned something about a glimpse of the new kingdom that he's about to break in. There's a little glimpse. He gives us a hint of this new kingdom. And what is this? right here in verse 4. There need be no poor people among you. That's God's vision, a glimpse of his world, of this new kingdom of his, that there will be nobody that's poor. Nobody. Nobody Nobody owes anybody anything. Everybody is rich in his sight. You follow? God, through Moses, gives us a glimpse of his kingdom, gives us his glimpse of this vision, that there will be no poor people among us. So, practically, practically for us today, we're not, we don't usually practice this whole lending money thing. So what do we owe amongst us Christians? What are some stories that we've heard that, that we would say, you owe me, right? Well, I come from, I was raised in a Chinese Christian family, and I emphasize Chinese. <laughs> and so, therefore, there are many times when I find that, like, uh, when, I, when people do favors, right, uh, amongst us community, it seems like there's this implied owing. There's this checks and balance, right? You do something for somebody, and then for some reason, you feel that you owe something, you owe somebody else for something. How many times have we said that, how we heard from our parents, I raised you for so long, you owe me. Right? How many of you have heard this? Maybe it's not like overtly said, but it's kind of implied that you owe me? Well, guess what? That's not Christian. No one owes anybody anything in a Christian community. You follow? Because God says there need be no poor people among you. There is nobody that's supposed to owe anybody anything. If you want to take that route, guess how much we owe God? If you want to take that route. 
So therefore, in his new kingdom, no one says, you owe me your loyalty. No one can say that. No one can say, you, need, uh, you, you owe me your honor, you're in debt to me, you owe me your respect, you owe me your obedience. You, no one can say that in the community of believers. If you're a parent and you find yourself saying that to your child, sorry, you can't say that. If you were a, if you were a person that, that has a friend with another friend, you owe me this of it because I did this for you, you can't say that because that's not grace. There's no grace or mercy in that. If we worship a God who sees a vision of this world with full of grace and mercy, we too have to emulate that. That's part of our mission, to fulfill his God-given vision. You follow? Let's move on. Let's go into Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 to 10. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. See, freely lend. Okay? The seventh year, the seven year of canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of, this, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. First things first, we realize that it, the two words that come right out, stick out right in this passage is hard-hearted or tight-fisted. You see that? It's almost like it's just yelling at you. <laughs> right? Hard-hearted. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. See, when we tie that church, are we hesitant to give the full 10%? I know I have, right? I, I shared with you the story about when I first got my first job, right? And then I had to pay rent. I had to pay for my own food bills and, uh, and my utilities. It was very hard to give. And therefore, I became very tight-fisted, hard-hearted, right? But then I, go, but then I said to myself, hmm, I, I, like, for some reason, God convicted me and asked me, uh, and I started asking myself, why am I like that? It's because... I forget, I've forgotten what God has already done for me. And that was to save me, to provide me with salvation. And hence, if you remember in the verse 15, if you see that in the, uh, on the screen, in verse 15, what does God remind us? You know why you should be generous, Mr. Chan? You know why you need to be generous? Remember that you were once slaves to your own sin. Slaves in Egypt, you were slaves to your own sin. You had no hope in getting out of this. You were predestined to death. And I redeem you. God continues to remind me to be grateful. I am faithful because I am grateful. I give faithfully because I am grateful for what God has done for me. So this whole hard-hearted, tight-fisted is very, it, it convicts me some the, from time to time because, yes, I fall into that trap too of be, becoming tight-fisted. But as I become more generous and continue to remind myself of God's grace and mercy towards me every day, and how he's been so patient with me, then through my gratefulness, I am faithful. So therefore, if, it's, if you want to know like a, of what one little like a gauge of what our mission is, is actually to be faithful. It's, the reason why you're faithful is because you're grateful. The whole gauge of our mission is about gratefulness. That is one key 
when we want to determine what our mission is, is that first of all, are we doing things out of gratefulness? Is that our compass? So we give freely to charities in need. We give freely to uh, people in need. And we give freely because God, again, reminds the Israelites and his chosen people and reminds us that his vision of his new kingdom, there will be no need for poor people among you. There, are, there should be nobody that's poor among you. You follow? That's that vision. God's vision of this new kingdom is that there will be no one poor among us. So how does this play itself out in my world as I, in my life, in my mission? Because if that's the vision, if that's God's vision, is that there'll be no poor among us because everyone should feel full in the presence of God, agree? That they should feel saved and redeemed in the presence of God. And if I represent the presence of God now, if Jesus is in me, then whoever encounters me, they should feel full, they should feel not poor and needy. How should I play that vision? What is my mission then? If that is the vision, you follow? What is my mission? It changes, <laughs> apparently, every single day for me. Here's a little example, a microcosm example. I visit my mom every Wednesday, almost every Wednesday. Sometimes I can't because I'm sick or the snow this past week. But I visit my mom because she's in the care home. She's, uh, she's in Chinatown. As I go along, there's always this intersection uh, after a Highway 1, and then you go up, right? And you hit Hastings Street. You know that Hastings exit? Everyone know that? You know with the P&E around the far corner? There's this guy named Ben. He's a, he, he always begs, uh, same guy, He's, it's always the same guy. He begs, uh, begs in the corner there, and he, uh, he asks for money. So what I've done is that I keep a little budget of coins in my uh, car compartment so that I could give it to him. So it's like a, a dollar, a quarter, or two, whatever's in there, right? I would give it to him. On a Saturday, when I visit my mom, my daughter would be with me at the back, uh, and she's sitting right there. Uh, Annabelle would be sitting right behind me. And then when I, one time when I did this, when I said, uh, like, uh, I rolled down my window, I gave it to Ben, put, put it in his cup, and then uh, and I rolled up, and we were about to drive off, we were waiting for the light to turn green. Annabelle asked me, Daddy, why did you do that? And then, uh, and then she continues, is it because the man doesn't have any money? And I said, yes, he doesn't have any money. And then my daughter asked the second question, is he poor? I said, yes. And she probably, shouldn't he work? Oh, man, Annabelle. <laughs> right? Like, I'll notice that she got a lot of my DNA. Right? Like, see how it travels without even you teaching her? Shouldn't she work? Like, shouldn't he work? And then I said, well, uh, I, we don't know why they're not working, little one. Annabelle, we don't know why she, he's, he's not working. But one thing we do know, I told her, God loves him. One thing we really do know is that God loves him. And, that, and then so she kind of responds, oh, so that's why you gave him money, because, because God would give him money. I go, yeah. I give him money because God would give him money. See, we are agents, folks. We are like Ethan Hunt. We are agents. Each of us have a mission. It could be missions every day. But God gives us a vision for, to guide our missions. God gives us a vision that there will be no poor among you. A glimpse of his kingdom is to be, there will be no poor among you. Are we hesitant to give? Are we judgmental when we give? Oh, they might use this money for drugs, alcohol, to further go down that spiral of theirs. Or are we gracious and to put aside our judgment and maybe say, 
No. There are probably little eyes behind me watching to say, to give her a glimpse of what this kingdom is all about. To give her a glimpse of why she's even here worshiping our God. To give a glimpse of for Ben to say, why is he giving me this so freely? It's because we all share that vision. All Christians share that vision of this new kingdom that there will be no poor among us. That everybody is rich, full, in the presence of God. Amen.